Hello, everyone, and welcome to Speaking with Joy, a podcast to fill your soul, challenge your mind, and make you brave. I'm your host, Joy Clarkson, and an evangelist for all things good, true, and beautiful. So make yourself a cup of tea, find somewhere comfortable, and let's dive in to this week's episode. everyone and welcome back to Speaking with Joy. Over the last few weeks, I've been recording what I've called my escape cast, episodes on fascinating topics with fascinating people aiming to give you something true and beautiful and good to help you escape the madness of this COVID-19 pandemic. But this week, I've been really excited to share this special episode with you where I want to invite you to escape into a story through a piece of music. I'm recording this on Good Friday, and it's a beautiful day outside, birds are chirping, but I have a real ache and a real sadness that I think many of you could identify with, which is that I'm missing being in church. This is the highest, holiest week for Christians. It's Holy Week, um, as it is so fitly named, when we celebrate first Christ um, entering into Jerusalem as, as the King on Palm Sunday, all the way through to his crucifixion, death, and resurrection on Easter. And for me, something that's become increasingly precious is kind of living through the story of this week. You know, many of us throughout this pandemic have been escaping into stories through mystery novels and TV series. But the amazing thing is that the church for 2,000 years has invited people to escape into the story of Christ, specifically in this week. Traditionally, there's kind of services on almost every day of the week to mark out the story. So on Sunday, we had Palm Sunday, when Jesus rides in the triumphal entry into Jerusalem as people lay down their palms, declaring him the King of David. And then we have Maundy Thursday, where um, we have the traditional foot washing service, where priests or pastors wash the feet of their, of their congregation, remembering when Christ did the same thing to the disciples and said, um, you're not greater than, than your master. Do as I have done to you, to everyone else. And then we have Good Friday today when we remember Christ's crucifixion, his condemnation and crucifixion. Holy Saturday, that day of empty silence and sadness. And finally, the great joy of Easter on Sunday. So throughout throughout the history and throughout the centuries, we've been given this way to live through the story. And I think something that I find a great sadness is this kind of inability to live through the story in that same visceral way that I usually would in church, to go and be with my community, to kind of live through the moments of sadness and of beauty, and then to feel the great triumph of being able to say Alleluia on Sunday. There's this wonderful quote by um, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Hessel, who writes this, in every man's life, there are moments when there is a lifting of the veil of the horizon of the known, an opening a sight of the eternal. Each of us has at least once in his life experienced the momentous reality of God. Each of us has caught a glimpse of that beauty, peace, and power that flow through the souls of those who are devoted to him. Faith is a faithfulness, loyalty to an event, loyalty to our response. There's this sense in which the Christian faith is a loyalty to the events, the story, the happenings of Easter. And so living through that story in church is one of the things that I found the most grounding and profound. So how do we do that in these wild times? 
Well, I know I've been incorporating lots of small and large things, probably to not as much effectiveness as I could, um, from times of prayer and quietness to reading things with Joel to tonight we're going to watch The Miracle Maker, the beautiful claymation film of Jesus. But I wanted to create one way to help you all live through this story, even if you can't go to church and be in church with your friends. Um, and that's by one of the greatest pieces of Western music um, that exists. That is the Bach St. Matthew Passion. This is a piece of music, one of the great hallmarks of Western music that you should know and love. But, but the whole point of it was to help people live through the story of the Passion. So today I want to guide you through this piece of music in hopes that it will help you live inside the story of the Passion, just as Bach intended you to. So first we'll talk a bit about the history of this piece, then we'll look at the three different kind of forms that he uses within the work of music itself, looking at examples from each one, and how each one of these invite us not only to become witnesses of the story of Christ, but to become participants within it, helping us be, make this story our own story. Throughout this episode, I will show, or rather play you, um, clips from the Bach St. Matthew Passion, so you can kind of have an idea of what it sounds like. And I'll be using these clips from the English Baroque Soloists um, from 1989. And I'll put in links to that so you can go and listen to this version if you want. But I would really encourage you to listen through at least part of the Bach St. Matthew Passion. Um, there's a lot, it's, it's quite a long piece, but there are bits of it that are just transcendently beautiful. Um, so I would highly recommend that you go look at that. And I will be using this English Baroque Soloist 1989 um, version conducted by the great John Elliot Gardner, who we'll talk a bit about in the history. So without further ado, let me tell you about this beautiful piece of music, this cornerstone of Western music and how it invites us into the story of Jesus. Bach St. Matthew Passion was recorded for a Good Friday service, a Lutheran service, uh, which is the service where you remember the crucifixion of Christ. It's a setting of the 26th and 27th uh, chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, the thing that's really fascinating about this, and we'll, we'll kind of get into this, is that it's the setting of these two chapters of Matthew, which is goes from um, the Last Supper to Christ's kind of condemnation before the Sanhedrin to his crucifixion and stops there. Um, but it's that story from the Gospels then mixed in with a libretto um, by uh, a writer called Picander. He was known then as Picander. So there's kind of these poems and these, these hymns that would become very, very famous. The one that you heard opening is one of the most famous hymns that comes out of this. Is this hymn called the O Habt van Wohl Blut und Wunden, um, which is in English, O Sacred Head Now Wounded. So it's really significant to note that this was a piece recorded not just for a concert, but actually for liturgical use. It was meant to be a part of the actual church service. And in that sense, I think it's so easy for us to think of works of music as that we are witnessing or we are audience members. But this piece of music is both composed and also the context for which it is composed is to invite us into that story. It was a part of those church services that try to integrate us into the story of Jesus. And Bach does this artfully and beautifully. I think one of the testaments, one of the great testaments to the skill and majesty that with which he accomplishes this task of trying to invite us into the story is 
um, in the words of John Elliott Gardner. So John Elliott Gardner is actually the conductor who conducts the version that I'll be showing to you today. Um, Gardner is staunchly agnostic, but he says this about the, um, the St. Matthew Passion. It's irresistible in its persuasiveness. I cannot deny that even if my logical mind says no, my soul, my spirit says this can only have come from somebody who has a totally incredible and believable sense of the Godhead, of the futility of existence. These are the aspirations that are necessary to our lives. So there's this wonderful sense of um, Gardner, who of course doesn't really have a religious faith, saying that as he conducts the St. Matthew Passion, he almost can't help but emotionally believe because Bach does such a compelling job of inviting the listener and the audience member, or the congregant rather, to enter into the story and to be touched by God within it. So the way that Bach does this is by dividing up this, um, this piece into three different kind of main sorts or forms of music within this larger piece of music. And that is the chorales or choruses, the recitatives, and the arias. And for the next little section, we're going to look at examples from each one of these. And the first one we're going to start with is the chorale bit. And this is exactly what it sounds like. It is um, a chorale, so it's a group of singers all singing together. Um, and this is how he begins the piece. He begins it with this excessive, glorious, over-the-top opening. Uh, you can't tell this. I'm about to play the opening for you. You can't quite tell this, but there are four different choirs that are required to sing this piece. So if I'm remembering correctly, it is uh, a children's choir, another kind of special choir. I want to say it's a bass um, men's choir and then two uh, normal SATV choirs. So there's four choirs beginning with this opening piece that invites the listener to enter into the story. And I don't mean that metaphorically. This opening actually is inviting us to, to do something. It's inviting us into the story. So the opening chorus sings, Kommt, and please don't laugh at my German here, Kommt ihr Tochter, helft mir klagen, which um, in English means, come ye daughters, join or help me lament. So it's this, um, it's this opening invitation saying, we are about to tell the story of Christ dying. I'm asking you, help me lament this, this terrible, sad thing that has happened. And this is actually related to, um, in English, we call it Good Friday. But as my friend Tobias just texted me today, in German, it's not Good Friday, but Karfreitag, which is the Friday of mourning. So there's a sense that Friday is the day we remember Christ's death. And so it's the Friday of mourning. And so it's inviting us as listeners and audience members to, to adopt an attitude of lament to help them bring the story to life and help them learn. So let me begin by playing you this.
So can't you just see why this is one of the most famous pieces in all of, of Western music? It is so glorious and beautiful. And I think you can hear those different choirs coming in and singing over each other and to each other. So the lyrics, and I'll put a link of this into the show notes uh, whenever I get to it, um, but the lyrics, they open with this thing. They say, come daughters, help me lament. And then you might have been able to hear in the music how there's kind of this, there's kind of a question and an answer. So you kind of hear the da, da, da. Sorry, that would be my email. Um, there's this da, 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 and then the other kind of side kind of answers. And so in that section, it's, they're asking a question and answering it. So it says, come daughters, help me lament. Whom? The bridegroom. Behold him. How? As a lamb. Behold. What? Beyond, behold the patience. Look. Where? At our guilt. See him out of love and graciousness. Bear the wood of the cross himself. Just listening to it and reading these words, I am, it gives me goosebumps. Um, but it's just this, it's this beautiful invitation where it's trying to help us be attentive to what is happening. It's trying to help us see and notice and be attuned to this story. So it asks just like a good journalist, whom, how, what, where? Um, and, then, and then it focuses on him out of love and graciousness, bearing the wood for the cross himself. And the reason that Bach does this is, again, because he's trying to invite us into the story. We're not meant to stand as those who just watch him pass by, but we're invited into this active position of, of mourning and lamenting together. And I've actually been thinking about this particular opening song a lot over the last few weeks with everything that's been happening with the quarantine and, and with COVID, because I think that we are used to mourning, um, to grief being a private thing, right? We're, we're used to it kind of being a lonely a lonely thing. When you lose someone, surely one of the biggest feelings is of isolation, of your life changing and everyone else's lives going on. But what's being asked here is not this kind of private grief, but this public grief, this public space for everyone to join together and lament. And I feel like this is something that I've been learning in this season where all of us have lost something to some extent, have been disappointed. I have had friends have to cancel weddings and and honeymoons. Um, I've had people lose jobs. Um, and even there's just the difficulty of staying home. If you live in a home where there's conflict and anger and hurt, that's a kind of struggle, something to grieve. Um, or if you struggle with mental illness. Um, or, of course, the greatest grief of all that we all anticipate in this season is losing someone. Um, actually having a grief of, of death. But it's this strange thing where we're so used to these kinds of griefs being private and separate, but all of a sudden, everyone is in this conscious experience of loss, though there may be different losses, together. And I think that we're not trained as a culture to know how to deal with that, to know that it's possible to grieve all together, to join our voices in, in wailing together. And there's this really interesting attitude that this that this piece is inviting us into, is it's inviting into us to doing that together over Christ's death. But in a sense, it's also inviting us to grieve all the things together that have been wicked and evil in the world, all the things that Christ absorbs in his loving and gracious death on the cross. And I think that's such a powerful thing to think about, grieving together, participating in lament as something that's worthwhile, that it's actually spiritually reasonable and good, I think that it's very easy for us to forget that in the Bible, there are these 
um, there's not some, there's many examples of lament where we pray to God, not just um, to say, please give me these things or to praise him, but simply to say, I'm confused. I'm sad. I don't understand what's happening. There's psalms like that um, where the psalmist cries out. I remember I used to always be irritated because people. I remember being at a sermon once where someone said, you know, psalms, they have lament, but they always end in praise. But that's very not true. There is a psalm that literally ends with, and darkness is my closest friend. <laughs> and if those are in the words of scripture and you live in the Christian tradition, then there is space, there is honesty, there is, they are these psalms of lament. And then there's an entire book called Lamentations, which literally just the prophet Jeremiah lamenting for five chapters. Um, so there is this holy space preserved in the canon of scripture and in the history of the church and the saints, where God says, pour out your lament, weep. And when better to weep than on this day when we remember when the God of all made himself vulnerable to all of the things that we weep about. So that is the power of this first section. It is an invitation into public lament. It's asking us to take on this active attitude of, of lamenting um, with, with the chorus. It's asking us to be attentive to who, to what, to where, as we are entering into this Good Friday story. And there's kind of two kinds of chorales. I'm going to go back into my technical mind here, which is um, there's this kind of chorale where it's these um, beautiful pieces all calling us into, into noticing the story. And then there's also these pieces that are actually more like hymns, um, with O Sacred Head Now Wounded being, being one of the most famous, and we'll look at that in a minute. Um, but that is, is more like a hymn which you wonder if, even in the services where it was performed, if the audience might have been expected to sing along. So I'm going to play you, um, as I did at the beginning, the, the most famous hymn from this, which is Paul Gerhardt, who is a, a German poet, um, the hymn, O Sacred Head Now Wounded, which is another example of the chorale, but in this one, it's more in unison. It's not for the choir to sing and for us to listen. It's to invite the actual congregants into the, the bit of the story. So listen to O Sacred Head Now Wounded. I just love that one. And I picked that clip because it's just 50 seconds. It's not even a minute, but it's so beautiful and contemplative and, um, and worshipful. And, um, so this is kind of the shift from the chorale at the beginning invites us to lament, but then these, these choruses, these hymns invite us to actually sing into that lament. And I want to take a moment to diverge here. Sorry, you can hear my um, neighbors speeding down the street. I want to take this moment to um, actually uh, go on a little rabbit trail and say that this this piece specifically has wormed its way into one of my favorite um, artists uh, who used 
the melody for their own song of lament, and that is the American Tune by Simon and Garfunkel. So listen to this and hear, listen to the musical different similarities. Many's the time I've been mistaken And many times confused Yes, and I've often felt forsaken And certainly misused Oh, but I'm alright, I'm alright Just weary Expect to be bright and born vivant so far away from home, so far away from home. I don't know souls I just find this song so um, beautiful and haunting, uh, but I think it's so interesting that he uses, I hope you can tell, that, that melody from O Hapfun, from O Sacred Head Now Wounded. Because this whole um, invitation that we're invited into is an attitude of lament, entering into Christ's sufferings, but even that invitation is inviting us to know that Christ shared in our own sufferings and our disappointment. And this song by, by Paul Simon, or Simon and Garfunkel, it's recorded as a band and then as an independent artist, is about that kind of heaviness. It's from the perspective of the immigrant population in, in America. Um, it's called the American Tune. And it's about kind of that sense of heaviness and trying hard and there being pain and difficulty and feeling downtrodden. Um, one of my favorite lines, that it's just one of those that sticks with you, is I don't know a soul that's not been battered. I don't know a friend who feels at ease. I don't know a dream that's not been shattered or driven to its knees. And there's this sense that life can feel that way. It can feel heavy and difficult and disappointing. And I think it's so significant that he chose this, this hymn, um, which has been one of the great cornerstones, I said, of, of Western music, because this hymn is about the Christ whose head is bent down, whose head is wounded, who feels the heaviness and the weight of the sorrows of the world. Um, but there's this sense in which that as we are invited as, as the witnesses of the story inside of it, um, as we are invited to participate in Christ's suffering, we're reminded that he has already experienced and participated in all of our suffering. Um, and that there is a release and a comfort and a catharsis in that. So that's our first kind of music that he kind of structures this piece around, is the chorale and the choruses, this um, this beautiful collection of people witnessing it together, inviting us into the participation, and then these actual hymns that are kind of meant to be sung by the by the congregation. Though, don't try to sing it if you ever are actually in a performance, because they don't do that. <laughs> so the next um, type of music that we have in this um, overarching story is the recitative. Now, you will notice that what we've just been singing and listening to is not the Gospels, but the point of this is, of course, to narrate Matthew 25 and 26, so the story of Christ's crucifixion. And so um, you have this kind of interpolation of these hymns that are meant to kind of help us enter into and reflect upon what's happening in the story, interposed with the actual text of the Gospel. 
And the text of the gospel um, is accomplished through the most boring part of the Bach St. Matthew Passion, which is the recitative. So this is literally just kind of talk singing by a tenor through the words of scripture. Um, and let me play an example of that for you. So what you just listened to um, was a recitative, and I believe this is the one where, yes it is, where, um, uh, the, the English translation is, when Jesus had finished this speech, he said to his disciples, and then it'll go into um, Jesus, who will then also narrate, Jesus is narrated by a, um, a tenor, um, will then do the same kind of talk singing thing. And um, and he will say, you know that in two days it will be Passover and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. So this is kind of how the narrative motion of, of the piece keeps moving. And it's honestly why I think a lot of people get bogged down. And um, I'm not being a very professional music critic here when I say this, but I find the recitatives to be kind of boring um, for the most part. And they are, they are usually one voice in a kind of repeated da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-
in this. So we have the choruses and the chorales, we have the recitatives, and then the third kind that we have are the arias. And the arias are kind of the personal and individual response that mirror the communal and, and chorale response, response. So the arias, um, and if you're familiar with other kinds of operas, an aria is a really beautiful kind of florid um, performance, a, a solo basically. And these, in, in this story, they kind of function again as this kind of moving away just from the telling of the story into uh, reflecting upon it and, and thinking about what this means emotionally and spiritually for us. And one of my favorite, which I'm, I'm going to include and, and um, show you an example of, is called the Bus and Rue, um, which means um, which means repentance and regret. So these are the, the words in English. Repentance and regret, repentance and regret rips the sinful heart in two. Thus the drops of my tears, desirable spices, are brought to you, loving Jesus. So there's this really um, tender, almost indulgently sad kind of attitude. It's, it's helping us not just think about what's happened in the narrative sense, but then make it have some kind of personal response within us. And it kind of creates the emotional space for us to feel that. So let me play you um, a part of this, this solo. And then if you haven't um, already wanted to, I would ad advise that you go listen to the whole piece um, later on your own. Hopefully that gives you an idea of this form of the music. It sounds much more traditionally operatic. And um, I'm going to reveal to you all a very nerdy fact about myself, which is that sometimes when I take walks around St. Andrews, I just love to listen to this piece, um, all of it, because it's so beautiful. And um, But this is really an important kind of part of, of what Bach hopes to bring about with this piece, is that we have first the invitation, the communal invitation, to grieve, to lament the death of Christ. And then we have the recitatives, which kind of tell the story and help us walk through the narrative sense of what's happening. But then you also have this personal and um, reflection, this moment where not just as a group, but as an individual, you're able to reflect on what the story means and how it affects you. And to hope that it will bring about this kind of right attitude within you of regret and repentance and a turning to Christ. So if you were to think about this like a journey, journeying through this story, 
we have kind of the recitatives as the the pathway that pulls us along the narrative journey. Um, and in between that, we have these moments where we can stop and chat with all of our friends about what's happening. And then you have these kind of moments to pull aside by yourself and think and reflect on what this means and how it'll impact your own heart in the arias. So those are the three main elements of the St. Matthew Passion. The choruses and chorales, the recitatives, and the arias. This kind of communal lament, um, the telling of the story, and then the, the personal and individual reflection on what this means and how it should make you feel. And all of this is oriented around helping us enter into and feel and respond to the story of Jesus. That thing that I feel so aching to do as I'm stuck at home and not able to go to church. But I want to end today's episode um, by kind of ending where Bach ends. As I talked about at the beginning, this was first performed not as a piece to be seen in a concert hall, but as a part of a liturgy of a church. So it was originally uh, performed in the St. Thomas Church in Leipzig in 1730. And I want to pause to say that that church, I believe, is actually streaming a performance of this tonight, which I'm sure that you can go both watch and and also watch once it's done. So that would be a really beautiful thing that I I plan on doing. Um, But it was performed as a part of the service. And as a part of the liturgical tradition, there's something that is important that does not happen during Lent. And that is that people do not say Alleluia during Lent. This is a word that peppers itself all through the liturgy most of the rest of the year. But in Lent, it's this period of of fasting and solemnity and sadness. And so on Good Friday, um, that is kind of the most solemn day of all days. And it ends not not in a spirit of, of kind of rushing past Good Friday to getting to Sunday, but it ends in a covering up of all the altars and availing um, because Christ has died. He is, he is in the grave. And this goes along with the story of Christ, right? Jesus died on a Friday and did not rise until a Sunday. And there's this whole day of quietness and grief in between. I love in the Gospels um, when, when the disciples are walking on Emmaus and they're walking with Jesus and, um, and they don't realize it's Jesus yet. And they say, don't you know, everyone's talking about this. And we forget sometimes that there's this heavy, holy Saturday in which Jesus was thoroughly dead and no one had any hope and ends in that space. And there is this, this awkward middle day. And I think it's really tempting, especially in our kind of wealthy and easily situated and, and easily living West to forget that we don't rush from Good Friday to Sunday. And the thing that's really compelling to me about the Bach St. Matthew Passion is that it doesn't end in Easter. It actually ends at the tomb, grieving. The final section, um, I'm going to read you the words, the final chorus. It says, We sit down with tears and call to you in the grave. Rest gently, gently rest. Rest your exhausted limbs. Rest gently, rest well. Your grave and your headstone shall for the ancient conscience be a comfortable pillow and a resting place for the soul. Rest gently, gently rest, highly contented. There the eyes fall asleep. So it ends with Jesus in the grave. And I think this is something that we have such a hard time with. We want to rush past the sad feelings to the happy feelings. But I think one of the things I find most comforting about Christianity is that that it actually takes our sadness seriously. Um, That we can sit at the tomb of Christ and weep. When we see terrible things happening in the world, 
We don't have to rush over it with a quick and easy answer. We can simply say that Christ has experienced this with us, that he has experienced the real heaviness and weightiness of death. And Holy Saturday is the place that makes room for that, and that acknowledges that experience and, and human nature. So Bach leads us through this story, asking us to lament the death of Christ, and then puts us at the tomb, grieving, but also contented. He uses that word, and we're contented because we are awaiting what we know will come, because we have lived through this story every Easter of our lives. We sit at the grave and, and we lament Christ's death. We know that he has also entered into our own sorrows and our own disappointments, that he doesn't rush past our sorrows, that he says they are weighty, that Holy Saturday is a part of the tradition. But we also wait in hope. And that is where I find myself. I find myself wanting to rush to Easter. But in this time of waiting and of quietness, of public and communal lament, I wait at the grave in hope of the resurrection. So let me close this podcast with this kind of final chorale um, from the Vox St. Matthew Passion, waiting um, contentedly, waiting for the resurrection. I hope that you all have beautiful Easter weekends and that when it comes, the hallelujah will be sweet. But for now, let me close with this final chorus from the Bach St. Matthew Passion. <laughs>